1: Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's
0: show. Gregory, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. This is coming off smooth as glass, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. As smooth as Greg White.
1: And that's world-class smoothness, folks, let me tell you. you. All right. So, Greg, man, we are tickled to be kicking off a new limited run feature series here today on Supply Chain Now. We're partnering with Noodle AI, a dynamic organization driving powerful innovation in global supply chain. And today, Greg, as you know, we kick off episode one of this new series that's entitled Making Better Supply Chain Bets with the Power of Probabilities. And today we're going to be focused on building a strong foundation, really, demy- I can never say demystifying, demystifying. <laughs> I got to go real slow, real slow, two miles an hour. We're going to be focused on demystifying artificial intelligence and talking about real opportunities and outcomes for AI in supply chain. Greg, are you uh, excited as I am here today?
0: What can I say, Scott? I'm uh, excited, enthused, intimidated. Rarely do we get to talk to people this much smarter than we are. Usually they're this much smarter than we are. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, seriously, I'm excited. I think, you know, Noodle's not a new kid on the block. They've been doing this AI thing since before AI was cool. Mm-hmm. So
1: yes. so with that said, let's introduce our featured guests here today. I want to welcome in Stephen Pratt, founder and CEO with Noodle AI. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Scott. You bet. Really have enjoyed our mm-hmm. pregame already. And you've brought with you Professor Diego Clabian with Northwestern University. Diego, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Great. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you. And Greg, we've got to point out, we've got lots of sports allegiances, but Diego is a fellow Atlanta Braves fan, in addition to being a Cubs fan like Steve. Is that right, Greg? That's what we learned in the pre-show.
0: Yeah. I heard him say Braves, so I'm going to take that as fandom. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: All right. Good, good, good. So, Steve and Diego, great to have you here. Looking forward to a great baseball postseason and a great discussion here today. So, Mm. I want to start with this. So, Steve, you've got an incredible background. Man, we'd be here for days if we walked through it all. We really enjoyed our our pre-show conversations I mentioned. But I want to start with our team's done a little intel, a little digging on your background. We understand you're Uh a Uh (laughs) part-time grape and olive
2: farmer. So, you got to tell us more. It's Guilty as charged, yes. So I have a ranch up in Napa County in St. Helena and got about 500 olive trees, several acres of grapes. And and so I actually taught myself grape farming from YouTube videos, books, and uh, a Yoda that lived down the street. In fact, we had our first harvest last Friday, and it was four times what last year's harvest was. And wow. so we're, which is like good news, bad news. <laughs> Cause it's so much, it's so much wine. Like we hadn't planned for that. And so, but yeah, I, I think it's connects me with nature, get to see the cycles of the seasons. Mm. I think well up there, it's sort of my, not quite my fortress of solitude, but something like that. <laughs> well, Greg,
1: if Steve <laughs> is looking for uh not Regional. a fortress of sobriety either. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. Steve, if you're looking for distribution representation in the Southeast, hey, give us a call. We can yes. help you get rid Perfect. of any yes. excess wide. All right. So let's switch gears here. And then, by the way, you paint a p- pretty picture. 500 olive trees there in California. I bet. No wonder it is a, a way to unplug and, and, and step away from all of the cool things you are doing in the industry. All right. So Diego, now this is a pretty unique piece of intel we gathered on you. Greg, our team says that Diego's, one of his biggest hobbies that, you, that he wished he had more time to spend on mm-hmm. is coding. So in particular, Diego, we hear you love to explore and learn new computer programming languages. So I got to ask you, when did this passion begin? And what's one of your newest languages that you've tackled?
3: Yeah, so I, I liked computers and coding so from my very early days, from high school, that goes way back to what 1980 or so I started coding at that time literally just for fun and I still love it so I as I said I wish I I have more time doing the actual coding. so my latest sort of a computer language that I started exploring about a year ago and I spent a few days working on it during the summer is Rust R U S T. not sure if you heard about it so it's a modern language that's supposed to be both safe safe from the security perspective so you Kind of cannot do, you cannot create memory errors, right? So that's, okay. that's my passion. But now it's so, okay, on well, the less sort of professional side, I actually do enjoy a lot running marathons, and I'm going to run now on Sunday in the Chicago Marathon. Oh, wow. No, yeah. oh, Wow. So do you have a time yeah. target? I'm getting older and older by the year, so my <laughs> times are declining every year. So well. I do have it. I do have it. I'm <laughs> not proud of it anymore. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, you're, right.
3: better, you're better off, Diego, than
1: probably 98% of the rest of us. So keep yeah. running. Yeah.
3: If you want a number, 330, so three and a half, three hours. Okay,
1: and three and a half wow, hours. I'm writing solid. that down.
3: <laughs> yeah. So
1: let me go back, though, for a second. And Diego, you'll have to let us know how you finish. We're gonna, we're writing that down, <laughs> and we'll do a check yes. on you. Greg, you're, you were nodding your head when he said Rust. Are you familiar with that, that computer language, Greg? Nope,
0: nope, not at all. But, but I have yeah. people who are familiar with it. Also, yes. I've heard them say it a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, I, I can name a lot of languages. I haven't been allowed to write in any languages, including English, since 2011. So,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, along those lines, I'll share a little bit of that with you.
1: When I started college, I started in computer science, Diego and Steve, as Greg knows. And I, I had one one semester of C++, and that was all... I Mm. can take so that was not my passion like it is perhaps both of yours but nevertheless we got to move on we got a lot a lot to get into today that I think is going to really inform educate and and enlighten and uh, demystify. As we talked about a lot of our audience because of course you can't have a single conversation these days without saying AI or gen AI or both or you name it so the key focus here today is demystifying AI and of course in particular talking about how to apply generative AI to global supply chain. And we're not talking about chat GPT, Greg, not talking about chat GPT. Ooh. We'll talk uh, more of that in a second. So let's build a foundation. So let's start with you, Steve. If you would, please you know, clarify what gen AI entails and how it sets itself apart from all the conventional machine learning, artificial intelligence techniques. Tell us more, Steve.
2: Right. So the the breakthrough in generative AI is that it produces new content that never existed before. So its predecessor or the other main category of AI, which is predictive AI, would take the things in its memory and would label them or you would say like find a picture of a dog and it would label this as a dog. Whereas generative AI would draw a picture of a dog. The very important construct that most people don't understand at this point is that there are really three general categories of generative ai there's large language models which is getting all the press which is text and documents then there's large image models which generate unique images from some prompt and then there's large graph models which are used Basically, modeling data as a graph and the connections among the nodes in that graph. So it's large image model or large language models, large image models, and large graph models. It's very important to have that construct when you're talking about generative AI. Very helpful.
1: L L M mm-hmm. L I M L G M. We love our acronyms right. around here, don't
0: we, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good description, Stephen. And under thirty yeah. seconds, so Albert <laughs> Einstein approves. <laughs> yes, love
1: that. All right, Diego, what would you? How would you expound uh, on that? when We talk about the foundational what Gen AI
3: entails. Right. So I would say so. Generative AI. It's really how do you create creative output that's actually similar to your historical data? So in with technical terms of historical data, it's also called training data. Right. So I'm going to be using the term training data quite often. Right. So here's a. Uh, use a possible use case really to images, right? Because uh, Steve mentioned three areas. One is images. So, suppose you have historical images of damaged products, and now you want to, so, generative AI essentially creates a new, an image of a damaged product, and that image is not exactly the same as the images you currently have, but it resembles them. It's a new image, right? And how would you benefit? So, what's the business value, right? So, you could actually identify that such a pro- such a defect actually can happen of your product and then you can go out there and examine sort of uh, how to prevail such potential damages so the entire area of generative ai it's roughly 5 years old so it started with something that's called gans so generative adversarial network and then 2 3 years ago a new technique called uh, diffusion models came out and now these two techniques are now combined together and they form sort of the basis together with something that's called transformers, right? So they so these three concepts now form the basis of, of generative AI. So why generative AI today? So first of all, generative AI models, they require a lot of data. And with today's advances in IT and data collection and data storage, sort of, we have access to a lot of data. And the big push actually behind genitive AI or the differentiating or stepping stone. Okay. The, the big, the big step actually is the fact that we can now handle larger models. And what does it mean larger models? So it's it literally you have to think from the brain perspective. So we have a lot of neurons in our brains. And so larger models literally means models that have more neurons, right? So the, Generative AI models—they they try to mimic uh, human brains, and so that sort of having being capable of handling more neurons, sort of that's the that was a big advancement behind generative AI in the last two to three two to three years. Mm-hmm. Another term that you commonly hear that that's related to generative AI is the term of foundational models, and a foundational model essentially is a model that. That is supposed to perform or it does actually perform just one particular task, but it's capable with some minor adjustments to do similar tasks in other domains, right? So an example here would be, so you have, you can have a model that generates marketing material. For example, it generates text together with images, right? So it's a nice kind of marketing brochure or banner ad, something like that. Yeah. And. Originally, sort of, you used historical data, let's say in the CPG space, right? So the model is definitely going to be able to create good marketing material for C- CPG type products. But now with this advent- recent advancement, with a little bit of your own tailored data, for example, on cars, you can teach the model how to create marketing material based on cars, right? So in mm. cars being Quite different from CPG products, but yet you're talking about marketing material, right? So the basic marketing material model trained on, or, or yeah, so trained on CPG data, that's the foundational model, right? So and that's so that's generative AI behind behind that, right? So that's sort of that's my explanation of what is generative AI.
1: Thank you, Diego. I really appreciate that. I love the examples you use as well. We're gonna we're gonna uh, dive a little deeper on on some of those examples and aspects here in a minute. But Greg, bringing you in, we heard Steve's framework and then Diego expounded a a bit more, your thoughts, Greg?
0: You had me at Transformers. (laughs) No, I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that what we are being shown, sort of educated on as far as generative AI is just a small example. Mm. We're going to talk about that of what it can do. What it means that it can do, this generative thing, means that it can learn, continuously learn. A, a generative adversarial network essentially argues with itself to determine what is right. It says, hey, does this look right? And its other self says, no, that's not right. And in a much more complex way, I can't believe I just said that in front of you two guys. Yeah. But, but it is substantially, that's what it does until it eliminates all the possibilities of being wrong and goes, this must be right. And... That learning capability is a huge advancement. And the fact that it, it can take these transformers can take the data that it knows and generate data that is speculatively, this is what it could look like, or should look like, Mm -hmm. it's hugely transformative.
3: Mm, Yeah. So
0: there is a ton of opportunity in using that, those kind of techniques out there.
1: Yeah. Well said. Greg, and I want to go back to something Diego said. Hopefully it's mimicking y'all's brain, Steve and Diego, and not some of the other, (laughs) not some (laughs) of the other. Yeah, not our brains out there.
2: All right. That was a pretty good explanation. I agree
1: with you. I completely agree. I feel like- I may be
0: doing something on the side
2: a little (laughs) bit. that's
0: (laughs) right. Exactly.
1: I feel like in the last seven minutes, I've earned a certification. It feels like Steve, (laughs) Diego, and Greg. Okay. So let's do this. With every big, powerful trend, tool, innovation, breakthrough, you name it. You get lots of common myths and misconceptions that, uh, you know, generate from a wide variety of folks that may not quite grasp it the way that y'all do. So Diego, and see if you want to jump in as well, but Diego, any common, when you think of misconceptions out there about Gen AI or AI in general, what's one or two thoughts that come to your mind,
3: Diego? So one misconception that I want to point out is more kind of from the human aspect perspective or say economics perspective, right? A lot of people fear that generative AI is going to replace workforce. I don't think so. It's going to augment uh, workforce. Uh, it's going to improve our productivity, right? So I like to explain this in terms of so far we have human in the loop or humans in the loop, right? So interacting sort of frequently with information systems. Generative AI actually uh, takes that one level up. Uh, to the human on the loop, right? Which essentially means we still have to monitor our system, but at a higher level with fewer potential interaction, but you still, we humans still have to be there. I also view this from the perspective of that generative AI. It should makes us better, not just from the productivity perspective, but also because it essentially, I view generative AI as a new competitor, right? So. Some, something that I have to compete with, something that I have to be better, right? So generative mm. AI, from that perspective, yeah, mm. at least sort of that's my personal goal or view, is that I want to be better than generative AI, right? So it brings it me sort of uh, additional motivation. Right? Mm. So one, and, and one thing, another, I think, misconception about generative AI is people actually have too high of an opinion of generative AI. So when I started using generative AI about, A year ago, yeah, I was impressed, right? So uh, I was talking, uh, or not talking, all right? So I tried, for example, summarizing some extra long emails uh, and those kind of things, and I was very impressed by that. But as I progressed, as I started using generative AI more and more, I figured out that, so for more and more, meaning for more and more complex tasks, I figured out that There's, there are definitely limitations, right? So Mm. if I go back to my hobby of coding, right? So yeah, generative AI is going to produce very good basic code. But as soon as you try to come up with a more sophisticated data science, machine learning code, it's not going to be able to. And, Mm. and in the last few months, I'm actually finding out that rather than using generative AI to give me a code template that I have to then Spend a lot of time fixing it and understanding and fixing sort of tons of bugs. I'm finding out that it that it actually takes me less time if I just don't use generative AI and start from a blank sheet of paper. Mm. Right. So, in short, right. So people are afraid that generative AI is going to replace uh, workforce. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen in any sort of foreseeable future. Right. And second, I think people have too high of an opinion about our opinions, so they overvalue capabilities of generative AI. So it is powerful, or so don't get me wrong, it is powerful, but nevertheless, sort of, when you're talking about more complex, detailed stuff, it's still not quite there. And I kind of doubt it that okay. it will be there anytime soon.
1: All right. I appreciate that take, but you also said it's a competitor. So maybe it's going to be motivating you to hit that three and a half <laughs> Our mark in the run coming up soon. Let me switch gears for a second and then I'm going to circle back to Greg and Diego. I want to switch gears, Steve, and bring you back in. When it comes to global supply chain management, right, mm-hmm. we love the focus on real results as a, and in this case, transformative use cases that you may be seeing as to how Gen AI can make an impact. How would you, what mm-hmm. are you seeing in that regard? And how would you characterize its potential impact, Steve?
2: I think the combination of Predictive AI and generative AI is going to completely change how supply chain professionals run supply chains right I think that I think that generative AI from a large language model perspective that first category will have a m- minor if any impact on supply chains I, th- I think the people who are saying I need to slap a text interface to my APS is like that th- that makes no sense to me but the third category, right, of large graph models is a perfect application for supply chains, right? In fact, we can talk about what we've done. But if you think of the supply chain is basically a graph, right? You have manufacturing nodes, distribution nodes, you have lanes that connect them, you have constraints, you have historical data that if you model a supply chain as a graph and, and run a large graph model on it, that you get astonishing results, right? So we've in fact, I can talk about this later, but we just received a a patent for our generative probabilistic planning for supply chain optimization. So that was a really big deal for us. The reason that this is going to transform supply chains is several fold. One is it'll just give you better numbers. It'll give you better recommendations on what your demand signal will be, your supply signal will be, your imbalances. The, the constraints, the, the, your fill rates, your inventory holding costs, and very, very importantly, that fundamental to, to generative AI and even predictive AI is they think probabilistically. Mm-hmm. It's all about probability theory. And I think one of the fundamental flaws of existing advanced planning systems is they are what's called deterministic. They give you one number, right? They give you the, your, your demand is going to be X. And you can run different scenarios, but the output is always one number without any sense of it is how confident are you it's going to be close to that number or do you have actually no idea what the answer is going to be, but you had to give me a number. So I, I think moving to an AI perspective is moving from this next generation, moving from, what well, we had sequential planning, then concurrent planning. I think that probabilistic planning. Is the next evolution, right? And that giving supply chain planners an understanding of the risks, you can tailor the risks. Where do you want to take the risks? Do you want to take more risk on fill rate? Do you want to take more risk on inventory obsolescence? So I think those are really, really exciting things where we won't be spending SNOP meetings arguing about numbers. We'll be making strategic decisions about Mm -hmm. would I rather risk a shortage in this customer or do I want to risk my profits my profitability number right because of inventory outages and and do that by SKU or by product or by region or by time right so anyway so i'm super excited about we've been in production with with predictive ai now for four years at some major cbg brand hundreds of cbg brands um and uh, yeah so I, i can talk more about the stuff we're doing internally well, it's exciting.
1: And we're and, and what's one, that's one of the next places we're going to go is some of those ongoing projects that your team's involved in. Congrats on the patent. And before I go back to Diego, Greg, i want to bring you in here. Probab- I know planning is next, is near and dear to your heart. Probabilistic planning and how, as Stephen put it, not just bigger strategic decisions, but better decisions. Greg, what'd you hear there? And what's important you think for our listeners to take away?
0: Well, you know, one of the things I heard is this notion of trade-offs, right, which is essentially what supply chain is all about. It's you're trading one risk for another. You're trading speed for reliability, for ethics, for cost, and various and sundry other things. But those are substantially the pillars that you're basing it on. And there are, I mean, there have been plenty of deterministic models that assume, I'm going to use some more statistics, stochastic scenarios, which basically means randomness that we can't predict Mm. or manage. We have to consider that it could happen and provision for it as if it will happen. But if we can identify the likelihood of those events or the causes, even better, the causes of those events of disruption, let's say of your supply chain that put the speed or the reliability at risk. If we can do that from learning about past disruptions and imparting that Mm -hmm. to the model, And that changes the amount of inventory that needs to be held in the supply chain, which goes directly to the economics Steve was talking about. And there are so many of those trade-offs. And, you know, a lot of what Steve is talking about is new to CPGs or manufacturers. It's not new to retailers because they've had to carry the weight of the supply chain for virtually the entirety of the existence of the supply chain. Because cpgs and brands and manufacturers have foisted the risk of supply chain off onto the retailers who carry it in warehouses or distributors right who carry extra inventory in warehouses who carry safety stock presentation stock all these additional stocks and if we can somehow shave that down to a a level throughout the supply chain um, like retailers have done for decades then i think I think there is a ton of risk and also a ton of cost to be taken out at exactly the same time. Mm. The other cool. thing that this allows us to uncover is these other risks, right? Let's call them existential risks. Am I using a slave trader as a vendor? Mm. I mean there are all kinds of things you can learn about your supply chain that are more than just
2: the planning aspect of it. It's the entirety of the ecosystem.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean one way we think about this is the is that this is yeah, you know, it's basically supply chain professionals are. You can think of them as professional gamblers, right? They make bets. They're constantly making bets, right? Mm-hmm. Every every day, it's thousands of bets, and a lot of times that that their systems do not even give them the probability. They don't give them the odds, right? So they they don't right. It should say like, hey, if you've got a two kings, you don't hit. Right. 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 Blackjack, right? Like, but it's like the game is constantly changing and it doesn't give you probabilities. And so I feel like it's like we all get together as a noodle team is like, it's like, sometimes we feel like it's like gamblers anonymous. The first thing we have to like admit that we have a, that it's, that our, we have to help our customers understand the odds and where the risks, and then they can play the game. Mm. Right. But we have to inform them on how to make better bets. I love
1: the gambling analogy, and I think one of the things that comes to my mind as you're using it is it's almost like we're moving it from roulette, which is complete chance, to at least blackjack, where there's a, some sort of a system, right, a, as yep. you were talking about. All right, so Diego. I mean, it's
0: more than that, Scott. It's counting cards at blackjack. There we go. Is what we're yeah. doing. I mean, that, what? that's really where we're going. I wouldn't is, you say that. In case legally counting cards. Right. Yeah.
3: Right. <laughs> right. No, so exactly. One, what, what, what One difference. So, Greg mentioned stochastic. uh, I think you use the term optimization, right? So, one big difference between what was in use five, ten years ago, which was actually stochastic optimization, was that the subject matter expert in supply chain sort of in risk management, they created a few scenarios, right? So, let's say three, four scenarios, and then they build the entire analysis around that scenario. So, what Moodle is doing today, it's actually not just two, three scenarios. We're talking about millions of different scenarios, and then reason on top of those million scenarios and create probabilistic estimates, taking into account of all possible interactions in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Diego, thank you for adding that. And I want to give you a chance before I ask Steve about chat GPT. I can't wait to get uh, his response and, and all of y'all to, uh, to weigh in too. But Diego, anything else you want to add? You were kind of touching on use cases and and the impact of Gen AI and current impact potential impact earlier but anything else you want to add before i move forward
3: diego in terms of uh, the impact that uh, this is going to make so in terms of supply chain sort of and and this is sort of what steve already alluded to Generative ai is definitely able to capture all possible or not all possible so many many possible interactions right so and uh, steve mentioned sort of graphs and networks right so that capture interaction right so they're capable of of Modeling much more complex interactions and in greater detail than what we were able to do five, 10 years ago, right? So clearly you have to have the knowledge of the underlying generative AI. So scientific knowledge of the underlying generative AI to, to trend uh, or to use that in, uh, in a supply, in supply chain networks, right? So, and, and Steve did, Steven did a fantastic job of assembling an excellent group of data scientists and, and together with management to develop these capabilities of using generative AI For supply chain management.
1: Wonderful. I appreciate you adding that.
3: All right. So before I move on
1: to any of the casinos that may be listening, the uh, Greg, we were just using analogies, just for uh, (laughs) illustrative
0: purposes, right, Greg? They've already got my picture. Up.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: the eye in the sky is looking for me. Oh no! Fortunately, oh, no. I don't play blackjack. So, <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. All right, Steve, Diego, Greg, let's move. Steve, I'm going to pick your brain on something, and everybody try not to roll their eyes. But I think there's a lot of listeners that are experimenting with Chat GPT. It is a easy to use. Uh, you know, kind of a I think of democratization when I see platforms like that, regardless mm-hmm. of everyone's. Opinion on the accuracy and all those concerns they have, but Steve, question for you: Is ChatGPT good or bad for AI's perception industry?
2: Uh, of course, the answer is yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's the I, I think the the good part about about ChatGPT and large language models in general, whether it's BART or Llama or there are other their other large language models, is that as it's, it's made a Easily accessible to individuals, you know you can sit at home or sit on your phone and you can play around with it and you see the power of it of a neural network generating new text in an astonishing way I'm still astonished by it. I just wrote you know I just told it to like write a limerick about the use of graph neural nets and reinforcement learning right, and it wrote this amazing limerick, which was completely digestible or. You can say a love letter to someone in the, st- in the style of Mark Twain, right? And it does it. So I think that's a hugely positive thing. I, I think the negative part of it is, first of all, it's blotted out the sun, hmm. right? And hmm. any other, and so, and, and everything sort of gets sucked into that vortex where really cool other things like mid-journey, which is for generating images, which is a large image model. Mm-hmm. right everyone's saying well that's chat gpt it's like no no it's completely it's completely different chat gb is bit, right now it's just text but mid journey which generates new images is really cool in fact with some of the screen actors guild strike that's going on right right now was about the use of ai in images large image models because they were able to like de-age harrison ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark through generative large image models, right? And that was, they're really worried that large image models are going to, like, overcome this. And then large graph models, I mean, like, the cool stuff we're doing or the uh, AlphaFold, which is an example from Google, they're using for protein folding, right? right? Like, understanding how proteins fold is, like, one of the fundamental block, like blockages of understanding discovery of new drugs. And, like, AlphaFold... Could revolutionize medicine and it's so I, I think i don't like the fact that it's blotting out the chat gps blotting out the sun and it, it especially kills me when they say like it large language models are the key to supply chain right because it's it they're not right <laughs> right it, i mean it, it might help in some edge cases for accessing text data but i think the other one misconception about ChatGPT that people need to understand is that training a large language model is extraordinarily difficult, which Mm. congrats to all the people who have been able to do that, but you have to have a cutoff date for the information. So the cutoff Mm -hmm. date for ChatGPT is September 2021. So if you ask it anything that's happened in the planet since September 2021, it has no idea. Right, because the data that went into it was a cutoff there, so it, it, it kills it's me. When a bit people of a are, problem. It's, well, it's uh, a no. If you want to opine about the Revolutionary War, it doesn't matter, right. right? But if you're saying like, what's the recent trend in whatever, right? You have absolutely right. no idea. And, you know, ask it, ask it who the president is in the United States. <laughs> All right. So right. for the second time, I've got to move forward. We've got a lot, we've yeah. got a lot
1: more to, we want to get into with Steve and Diego, and of course Greg. Uh, and, you know, Steve, you've been referencing kind of in passing some of the things that you and the Noodle AI team have been up to. So tell us a couple things here. First off, how your organization approaches specifically Gen AI. And then, you know, talk about some of those ongoing projects that Noodle is leading that leverages that.
2: Yeah. So right now, all of our products are based on predictive AI, right? So we're using predictive AI for, like I said, we've been in production at hundreds of very... Largest brands that you would all recognize for multiple years. We use predictive AI to find unknown hidden patterns within data. Incredibly useful for predicting demand that much, much better than any other approach and supply and imbalances and converting that to a probabilistic understanding of risk. So, generative AI is something that we have finished the data science. So, the data science is completely done. It's now patent patent pending. We've run it on multiple customers' data, and it's getting jaw-dropping results, right? So we're putting in more and more, make sure all the real-world constraints are in there, make sure transportation lane capacity, shipment or der- shipment frequency, every possible constraint you possibly can put in. And so the data science is done. One of the things we've learned as Noodle AI is that Creating an enterprise software application in AI is that the software engineering around that is as difficult, if not more difficult than the data science itself. So on generative supply chain planning, we're done. We're done with the data science. We know it works. It's like revolutionary, but getting it so it's scalable, reliable. Right, it's it. The data pipelines won't go down. That it can stay in tune. All of that stuff, which is several several generations ahead of sort of standard software development like DevOps. Right, you go to DevOps and the ML Ops, and then but having a learning algorithm in the middle of an of an enterprise application is like really hard to do. I mean, we've been there are so many edge cases. We've been working on this for for three, four years of how do you make it so that it's fault-tolerant and it won't go down in this mission-critical part. So we're super excited about Gen AI. It's scheduled, the alpha, or the, or the initial release is not, we're already at alpha. We want to be like GA, like a few customers will do in Q1, right? And then, and then we're already running in the background at one of our customers and we'll be two very soon, but we're super, super excited about it. I think it's going to be it's I, I hope that the processes change accordingly, right? Mm. Like the way we run SNOP and SNOE in most companies is a lot of it's to get consensus so that okay, we all agreed to these numbers so nobody can complain. Right. And and so I, I think that let's get away from arguing about the numbers and let's get let's argue about strategic stuff. Right about what do we do what what is our intention? where do we want to where do we want to place our bets? where do we want to where do we want to go strategically right in the company? love that,
1: Steve, and I bet when I hear statements like that really really truly modernize conversations and where there's powerful alignment around data, we can get stuff done. It usually takes us weeks, if not months, and get it done in a matter of hours right uh, imagine. Yeah what that will open up. Greg, I'm coming to you after we get Diego to comment. Diego, anything you want to add or comment on in terms of as Steve laid out Noodle's approach to Gen AI?
3: Sure. So we thought, so industry thinks that we pretty much have nailed down ML Ops. But now this generative AI actually sort of creates a new uh, challenge when it comes to ops, right? So in other words, when it comes to deploying and maintaining and the actual pipeline in production of generative AI type, type models, right? So what Steve just said sort of is, is actually known in, in, in the business community, right? So that known in the sense that it's it's a new challenge of how do you integrate now large language models, or not like, I'm oh, sorry, generative AI models in a production setting. And indeed, sort of there are reports there from consultants, et cetera, stating that there are actually very few companies that, today use generative AI in in deployments, right? So in live, live deployments. So we essentially went from something that, that we think we nearly down. So MLOps now to step up, which is how do we put this generative AI in production?
1: Mm. Mm. Uh, all right. So Greg, when you hear the approach, you hear patent pending, you hear it's being applied to one client, soon to be uh, two customers, or one, one customer, soon to be two customers, and it sounds like in a matter of days, if not weeks. And other
0: aspects of their approach there, Greg, what comes to your mind? Well, a thing that astounds me, not just from what Steve and Diego have said, but just what I've seen as the investor is the rapidity with which generative AI, generative AI is generally what we're talking about, has accelerated. How much the technology itself has evolved over the last 20 minutes or so. I've had a few thoughts here, but, but I think the thing that's really very impressive and that we have seen and heard Scott firsthand from a prominent retailer in the U S is they took a process that did take 400 people and four months and condensed it to 11 people and a weekend. Mm. So I, I. believe that it will replace people and it will replace them in what we currently consider very, very high value jobs, consulting jobs. The writers had to write, the writers from their writer's strike had to write a an element into their contract that they can't be replaced by AI. Hmm. If they weren't worried about re- being replaced by AI, and I think we've seen Mark Twain can be replaced by AI. <laughs> I'm sure some of these TV writers can be replaced by AI. So Mm. I think there is so much that it can do that, and we talked about this on a show earlier, Scott, you know, I think we have to recognize that there is so much that it can do and because it's constantly learning, it will continue to accelerate its effectiveness. Mm. And I don't think we need to be worried about that though, because it's going to take jobs that are not what humans are best. Fit for anyway. Humans will still have to intervene if it writes uh, a Mark Twain love letter and make sure that it's saying the right things and it has the right tone and that sort of thing. But it will get you off the ground. And there are people that do that today, Mm. right? So people will move up the chain, just like people move from driving, from driving spikes on on the railroad, John Mm. Henry, right? The old John Henry story. Yeah. People moved. We didn't, we don't have fewer people working in railroads after that. We have many, many more working in railroads after that. And, you know, the jobs will move around because of that. But I think the key thing to understand here is that we can't even conceive. And those even those of us like Steve and Diego and I, not me to the level these guys do, but who are thinking about what AI can and should do and trying to apply it to problems. Every day, I'm astounded at what AI can do. And every day, I mean I've been asking, and I know Steve, you probably have too as a founder. I've been asking the well, could it do this question? Ooh. And every day the answer is, let's see. And a few weeks later, the answer is, to quote the great Stephen Pratt. Well, of course the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so
3: let me can I ask the following, Kyle. It's not rhetorical or philosophical question, right? So it goes along the lines of replacing workforce. So suppose you go on Amazon and you try to buy a book, and you see a note there next to the book that you are interested in, and the note says, completely 100% written by generative AI. Would you change the perception of that book? Would you buy it? Interesting question.
0: Greg? Yeah, absolutely, I would. Okay. But that doesn't change the fact that it will still replace. Well, because, see, so
3: my answer is actually, I would probably not buy it.
0: Okay. Steve? Oh sorry, I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. Your question was would I buy it? I would think about it before I bought it. Absolutely. I thought your question was would I think about it before I bought it? I would absolutely think about it before I would buy it. But we don't have to debate it, Diego. I mean, chances are good
3: yeah, that but neither one of us are right. My my point is that at least sort of I would not buy it, right? So and that kind of yeah, I'm just one person, right? Yeah. So but this does imply that at least sort of as far as I'm I mean, based on my Taste or philosophy, whatever you want to call it, generative AI, it's not going to replace writers. Okay, maybe
0: not writers. So (laughs) it is fascinating. We would
1: need a couple more hours, I believe, and really have a full conversation around some of the viewpoints here. But this is what I want. This could turn
0: into a sports show real quick. (laughs) That's right, with hot takes and all that good stuff. I think Patrick Mahomes is overrated. But, you know, it's interesting
1: when, I'm not sure if it was Steve or Diego, it could have been Greg, but about the continuous learning aspect of AI. It is interesting to think about. You know, we humans try to get our, I don't know about y'all, my five hours of sleep at night, six or seven or whatever it is. It's just working and learning and working and learning. And it's just, it's a fascinating thing to think about, right?
0: Certainly one. Of the and advantages. it never forgets. Yes, Greg. And once it learns something, it always uses it consistently. Excellent. It never is misdirected by emotion. Right. Mm. Or fatigue or or your favorite sports team winning or losing, you know, all that good stuff.
1: Mm. All right. So as we start to come down a stretch, great conversation here, Steve and Diego, I want to ask y'all a question and I'm going to try to, it, it, it's along, it's in the vein of what we've been asking. I really want to challenge y'all to think of something that maybe you haven't shared here today. So, you know, I don't know about y'all, but we hear it a lot. We get a lot of feedback when we do these shows that Greg was referencing. Of course, today's, I still don't get it. Why gen AI, right? What's the big deal, right? And think of those folks that we have plenty of folks doing big things out in the industry that aren't necessarily technologists. But to that end, if you had to really boil it down to just a couple of thoughts that you hadn't shared yet, what? couple are the key primary advantages of adopting gen AI techniques. And let's start with you, Diego.
3: Well, so I know the honest answer here is if I can make money, I would use generative AI, right? So if it can improve my business, clearly there's a cost side as well, right? So we all know that fine tuning generative AI models is not cheap, right? But just from the business perspective value, so sort of if I can gain if I can run my business more efficiently, if I can create a better product, et cetera, I'm all for it. I mean, use, use generative AI. And from that perspective, actually, you're right. So alignment, safety, those kind of things. Okay. We're not it's here. We're talking about strictly business perspective, right? So there's potentially no issue of alignment, safety, those kind of things, right? So, but as long as I can increase my revenue or ROI,
1: or I'm all for it. Well said, Diego. And I think that a lot of folks could agree with that. Steve, I'll come to you next. But before I do, we'll see if we can apply Gen AI to maybe some better baseball umpiring. Do you think that's in the (laughs) cards, Steve? But anyway, getting aside, Steve, what would be your response to those? How about just
0: actual intelligence to umpiring? (laughs) Right.
2: Yes, 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 yes. The Braves don't need
3: need better (laughs) umpires.
2: (laughs) uh, Hernandez AI.
3: Yeah, oh, yeah, Steve, there you go.
2: Man, we're going
1: to upset the 0.1% of our listening audience that are maybe active umpires. I don't know, Steve, Who Cares. do you think about, again, why Gen AI? What's a couple of key thoughts that come to your mind beyond what we've already talked about?
2: Yeah, well, I, I'll just relate it to supply chain professionals. I think that there is a need to give much better information to supply chain professionals. I, I think there's a lot of frustration and what is really an almost unachievable job, right? We had one customer before we came in, they were getting 580,000 inventory alerts on Monday. The team of hundreds of people would sort through those alerts. They'd try to figure out what's real, what's not real by Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, they need to make thousands and thousands of critical decisions that are going to infect billions of dollars of inventory. And it just it's a thankless job. It's a frustrating job Mm. because there's so little information. Ultimately it comes down to telephones and texting and Excel spreadsheets and just sort of this heroics at the end. And I think that, I think it can make that job a lot better, right? And more, you can get better results. It'll be more using what human, the human brain is amazing at judgment and thinking it's really bad at calculating. And estimating probabilities, and and so let the computer do what the computer does best. Let the human brain do what the human brain does best. And I, I so I think that, that that me that's a really, really exciting use of you know, both predictive and generative AI is to uh, is to help the supply chain professional. Steve,
1: well said. And if you heard Greg there, he said, "Preach it," because there's a lot of kindred spirits there. And I, I would add one more thing before I come to Greg. You're talking about better info. I would also argue they need more time, they need more time, mm-hmm. they need more successful practical tools that can give them more time and some, and some peace of mind, frankly. Greg, your thoughts mm-hmm. when you hear Steve and Diego talk about why Gen the AI?
0: Yeah, well, let me just start real quickly with what it won't replace. It won't replace the ability to make life and death decisions or high, high stakes decisions with very little, no, or inaccurate data. It will not replace that. It won't replace any kind of knowledge that is required of the last two years or whatever. I'm sure they'll shrink that timeline, right? It also is going to find it very difficult to, at least for now, to contemplate new concepts, right? For someone to visioneer something that's never happened before that is not based on a foundational premise or foundational data or foundational information or something that just doesn't exist today. So that is humans doing human things to Steve and Diego's points, both. What I think it will do is it will free us to do those things rather than those mundane, all those high stakes, but easily manageable with a base of knowledge, with enough data to support a base of knowledge that that today take an entire week, like what Steve just described, that can be done literally overnight and say, hey, we did this for you while you were out for the weekend, or at least we did these things for you. Here are some things that you need to continue to review. We didn't have enough data, that sort of thing. The, that is what technology has always done. And we've just reached such a level, high level of efficiency in mm. terms of so many interactions with technology. That This is just another condensing of time frame around those kinds of challenges. Hmm. So I think that's what it will do is it will continue to allow humans to do less of those things that, I mean, you know, this whole back and forth, God, I was living it while you were saying it, Steve, this whole, well, why did that happen? How did you hurt the company yesterday? We got to dig into this and figure out why that happened. And then by Thursday, we're back to work. Mm-hmm. Now we can come in and go to work on Monday and know that there are very few things that can't be handled and we don't require all this back and forth because all the data that supports the argument that we should do this differently or we should do this the same or this will never happen again is all it all exists in the models and is presented. Yeah.
1: Love that. Uh, you know, as you're describing that and each of y'all are talking, maybe a good or maybe a poor example, I don't know. It'll let humans focus on making, crafting that culinary delight, whatever big, Mm -hmm. fancy recipe and focus on the creation. And maybe AI will take care of setting the table and washing the dishes. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe we'll be there one day. All right. So as we start to wrap, one last question before we make sure folks know how to connect with everybody. And if we can, what's your in a nutshell, simple, straight to the point response here? And that question is one of my favorite questions asked. Uh, And we'll start with you, Steve. How would you suggest our listeners get started
2: with Gen AI? I actually think playing around with ChatGPT in large language models is a good place to start because it's accessible. It's something you can use immediately. I think playing with mid-journey for generating new images, you can say, I don't know why you'd want to do this, but like draw a picture of a dog juggling on the moon. Right. It'll, it'll, it'll do it right so whatever you want draw a new logo for my company or whatever right and large graph models are less accessible to a consumer like an individual consumer it's i'm not sure that there are ways of playing around with that but i think you know obviously i would encourage people to call noodle ai i mean you could we could show you what we're doing we could show you what's in production and predictive ai and that's absolutely rock solid the generative ai stuff which we can show you the things that are working in noodle labs and that on customer data in a, a production basis and so yeah i, I would say you know, just, just humans are sometimes afraid of things that are new and they and that are this kind of scary and so i think just let's increase your exposure to it understand what it is and you can understand how it can be used for good and the potential misuses of it and I think that's what I would say. Excellent.
1: And to your point, school, a generation of technologists were largely created with approachable video games in the 80s and 90s, kind of, kind of a bit to your point. All right, so Diego, same question in a nutshell. How can folks get started? How would you suggest they get
3: started? Well, so if one is interested on the technical side, then so what Steve said, so ChatGPT, GPT, it's a good start or it's an excellent starting point. And if somebody wants to go deeper, so something like length and hugging face and those kind of aspects. Uh, Not aspects, sorry. Tools. And uh, another way, so there there are now also a gazillion of websites that offer generative AI. uh, uh, Let me just say that they showcase generative AI. Mm. For example, creating presentations, summarizing documents, uh, responding to emails, etc. But if one is also for managers, I would actually say that the good starting point would be just Google search about potential use cases, hurdles to actually use generative AI. So I mentioned before, like pipelines and those kind of things, and cost of training. So that, there's a lot of information available on the web, but I find attending conferences also extremely valuable. Right. So if one from the management perspective is interested in generative AI, so should it be used in my company, then conferences and talking to others and hearing about use cases, that's also, it's my recommendation. Awesome. And where to find me at a marathon on Sunday. Yes. Three and a half hours. (laughs) We're writing it down. We're going to check
1: in. All right. So Greg, before we make sure folks can connect with Steve uh, and Diego, anything you want to add in terms of how folks get started?
0: Yeah, I agree with Steve chat GPT. I mean, it's a party trick, but that's the way we get people to learn these things is make it simple and consumable and. And I think you'll find what you can do. You'll find the limitation that you don't, it doesn't know anything past September, 2021, I found that really quick. It's frustrating, but it is what it is. That'll probably give all of us a lot of solace to Diego's point about whether this could replace us. We know it's not going to replace us in the next two years. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, if you are in business and particularly if you've got uh, the planning challenge, I can assure you, I had a planning company. I've seen the competitors out there. There is no one using AI the right way that I have, I've spoken to, seen on the Marketplace, except Noodle. Mm. Everyone is using it. The way that I see people using it is to select old-fashioned forecasting models out of a best-fit forecast model, and that's about as good as it gets. If you are doing something not just predictive, but also probabilistic and using Gen AI to do it, or if you need to be doing that, I would give Steve a call. First of all, just talking to him, you're going to learn something. And I, I, I know that there's no one else out there doing it. One more thing yeah. is, can I just, well, should I save? I should probably save this for the close. Yeah, let's save it. We'll save let's it. Let's save it for the close. <laughs> we'll keep <laughs> yeah. it in inventory for just a yeah. second. We'll fulfill yeah. the order in just a second. Yeah, don't <laughs> fill it all now. Got it. <laughs> okay. Make all me right. note. Save this, for <laughs> Okay. Steve and Diego. Steve, that is
1: high praise. Trust me, I've been doing this for quite some time with Greg. And yeah. uh, when you get a compliment like that, is high praise and genuine praise. So let's do this. So Diego, first off, how can folks, other than the Chicago Marathon, if folks want to reach out and compare notes, you know, talk about the Cubs and the Braves or all this cool stuff you're doing and helping others do and the now generation do it at Northwestern,
3: how can folks connect with you? The usual traditional way, sort of email X, what else are you doing? Discord. Yeah, that's so email is, is the best one. And as I said, X is okay. Twitter, right? So I'm talking about Twitter.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. when are we going to be able to drop that and just say X and stop saying formerly Twitter? Right? All the, we're and, still and, stuck in that cycle, but we'll find you on X. And of course, we'll include those things in the show notes, Diego, to make it really easy for folks to connect with you. So, Uh, Diego, really appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. All right, Steve, really have enjoyed your perspective here today. You and Diego are quite the one-two punch. Big thanks to you and the Noodle AI team that's on the move, as as Greg was sharing. Really appreciate y'all partnering with us on this. I think it's going to be a very informative, demystifying. We're breaking the mold of some assumptions that I think a lot of folks have made based on what they're reading or you're talking about, so really appreciate that. And folks, to our listeners, stay tuned. The next episode, we're going to go deeper with more practical use cases for ministry to really help you connect the technology with the outcomes. So stay tuned. So Steve, how can
2: folks connect with you and the Noodle AI team? So you can find us on, online at www.noodle.ai. It's not too complicated. You can reach me at steve at noodle.ai. And LinkedIn, although LinkedIn's a little overwhelming, right? So it's, (laughs) right. So my, I think I have tens of thousands of unread messages on LinkedIn. So I, and and they make it really hard to delete messages. So it's, so anyway, I would do email is probably the, the best way. Or if you'd like to see a demo, you can go on our website. It's really cool stuff.
1: Excellent. And we will put that demo link in the show notes. And by the way, I'm being reminded the email address, Steve, that you're bold to put out there. Steve, not Steven, Steve, Steve. at S-T- Noodle.ai is what I'm being told, Steve. Yes. Does that work? S-T-E-V-E at Noodle.ai. Wonderful. All right. Good, good, good. Well, really have enjoyed it. Uh big thanks to both of our guests. Greg, I'm getting your key takeaway. We're, we have got that oh. order ready to go, but we want to thank Steve Pratt, founder and CEO of Noodle AI. Steve, thanks for being here today.
2: Yeah. It's an absolute pleasure.
1: Absolutely, I, I feel smarter, really, after speaking yeah. with
0: the three of y'all, but
2: especially I agree. Steve, yeah.
1: and
0: Diego. thank you for bringing all this knowledge to us guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And
1: Professor Diego Klabian with Northwestern University. Diego, great great to have you here today.
3: Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, all right. Diego. Thanks.
1: So, Greg, a lot more coming. Big thanks to our cloud partners over at Noodle AIs. We look forward to continuing the episodes of this limited run featured series, making better supply chain bets with the power of probabilities. So, Greg, for our wrap, what is, if you had to distill it all down, right? Distill it all down into a bottle of Steve's finest
0: from the vineyard. <laughs> Never did determine whether he makes wine yet or if he's just <laughs> growing grapes. Yes. What? What is yeah, it to pick?
1: <laughs> you had to pick one thing, Greg, that folks got to pay attention to from this conversation
0: with Steve and Diego. What would that be? Yeah, well, it's coming. Um, I mean, AI is going to do a lot of things. I don't know if anyone uh, remembers an old Disney movie where people are sitting in big old cushy chairs and uh, robots bring them everything that they want. Don't be lazy because the more replaceable you are the more likely you are to be replaced mm. i mean and it's going to start from the commodity jobs on up so find a niche i can tell you i can tell you two people that are not going to get replaced by ai and that's steve and diego <laughs> if you ha- no seriously if you have that kind of knowledge or if you if you master something like this Right. If you really and truly are a, a master of some kind of skill, then you won't be replaced. If you are an automaton um, or, a, or a production worker, it, it's very likely. Uh, just my opinion, Diego and I are going to have a fist fight after this. But, you know, I mean, it's very likely that you will be replaced. So mm-hmm. be great. If you haven't read Good to Great, read it, the hedgehog concept, be good, great at something and make your living doing it Mm -hmm. so um you know it is all about economics both diego and steve both said that if you have an economic need that's not being met i would say by a technology that exists today especially as regards planning then take a look at this thing because there are massive limitations Mm -hmm. me and ai are writing a book together Mm -hmm. um i'm just kidding diego (laughs) but i mean you know I am. I do have this whole list of supply chain rules, and one of them is that the technology that exists today is not sufficient to is not sufficient to tackle this. I think Noodle is onto something here, mm. and I think that they can do things that other technologies can't. So take a look at it. Mm. Wonderful, Greg. I pr- really appreciate that. I'm going to take a look at it. Also, <laughs> by the way,
1: great place to finish. And to our listeners, hey, w- adding to that, keep learning. Keep learning. Yeah. Be bold. Lean into new places that are new to you. Yeah, it may be scary and all, but that's part of the secret sauce of this journey we're all in. So to all of our listeners, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode as as much as we have. Again, I feel smarter after the last hour or so. Mm-hmm. Be sure to connect with our speakers and their organizations. Be sure to find Supply Now wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe so you'll miss anything. And on behalf of all the team here at Supply Chain Now, hey, remember It's deeds, not words. Take something that Steve, Diego, or Greg said here today, put it into action. That's the big must need, must steps got to be taken. So, hey, Scott Luden, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a
0: part of our Supply Chain Now community.